It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Whitney Lordson. One of the most profound emotional experiences that I have been talking to friends and family members about, I don't want to say recently, as in a week, but I think certainly over the last year and a half plus of what has been transpiring on planet Earth, one of the emotions that I have really acknowledged that I have been struggling with and have talked to other close friends and family members, as I mentioned about, is loneliness. And the reason I'm bringing up loneliness to kick off this episode with our very special guest, Amber Fortier, is one of the reasons that I think contributed to this sense of loneliness that I've been feeling and with other people is the lack of community involvement, the lack of community presence. And one of my favorite places to go here in Los Angeles was my yoga studio, Jivamukti Yoga, which I had practiced many years ago in New York City when I lived in New York. I was actually a chef at the Jivamukti Cafe back in 2006, and that's actually how I got into yoga. I, Prior to working at the Jivamukti Yoga Center in New York City, I had never taken a yoga class in my life. And through chefing and creating this beautiful plant-based food for people, I was like, you know what? I'm working here. Why the heck am I not taking yoga classes? I, I'm employed by a yoga studio. So actually through food, the healing power of food, I discovered the yoga community in New York City. And then years later, when the Los Angeles version of Jiva Mukti opened, it was like this joyful moment, this like return to the start of my practice 14 years later. The unfortunate part, and the reason I'm talking going back to loneliness and community is, unfortunately, my yoga studio was a casualty of the pandemic, as many yoga studios were, even larger chains like Yoga Works and so many healing centers, so many wellness communities, I think, were tremendously affected by this. I want to start this episode with you, Amber, today talking about this uncomfortable feeling of loneliness and disconnect from community. And I know you've recently returned to California. You were overseas. So you've had some really interesting perspectives, I think, on this being in multiple countries during a pandemic and also running an incredible wellness business. You you have this virtual wellness studio called EmbodyMe.Live that we're going to talk about. But I really want to touch on the loneliness and the community and how those things are intertwined. And what's been your experience personally? And what's been your experience having gone through this in multiple countries, a pandemic in different countries? So it's been really interesting going through a pandemic in multiple countries. I was living in Amsterdam during the start of the pandemic. Right now I'm in California. So I've definitely experienced loneliness, missing my friends, missing my family, feeling worried like, am I, you know, I hope no one gets sick and I have a chance to see you guys again. So definitely a lot of emotions and a lot of things come up during this time. But what's really helped me was always finding that sense of peace within myself. And of course, loneliness with the community is very present. We miss seeing other people. We miss being in our social groups. But what's really helped me to stay very grounded and stay very centered within myself is just really connecting within, connecting with myself and really making sure that I feel really home when I'm with myself. 
That's a really interesting phrase, right? Because when I hear you say, making sure that I feel at home within myself, I want to dig into that and have you describe what that feeling, first of all, what that feeling, if you can describe, you know, the emotions of what that feels like to be at home in yourself. And I think for someone like me who has struggled very much with loving myself, who has struggled with having this intimate feeling of home within myself, I'm in my mid forties now, and I feel like I'm now just starting to get a deeper understanding of the feeling you're describing. What is that like for you? When you say feeling at home within myself, how do you describe that sensation, that relationship? And for me, and I'm sure so many of other, I actually know specific listeners of ours who do struggle with self-love and struggle with feeling connected to themselves. For someone who maybe hasn't practiced as much as you or isn't familiar with that feeling, how do you advise people to even begin that journey of connecting and feeling at home within themselves? Because it sounds to me like I've had a lot of challenges with it. You know, it has not been easy for me. Yes, it definitely has not been easy for me. It's definitely been a lifelong journey of, you know, feeling very at home with myself. But I would just say it feels very comforting. You know, I always know that at the end of the day, I always have my back. I definitely know that, you know, I love myself, all of my flaws, all of the great things about myself, of course, but all of the nuances, they also have a place. They also make me who I am and I love them with all of my heart. So really coming to this place of just radical self-acceptance and knowing that doesn't matter where I am or who I'm with or what I'm doing, I always have myself and I always can rely and trust on myself. And it's just really such a comforting feeling. I'm curious how you got to that place when you when you say that word trust and also radical self-acceptance. I feel like that's something a lot of people strive for, but it's a lot easier said than done. And I've been reflecting a lot on that and noticing the struggles that people are going through, especially on platforms like TikTok, where content creators tend to be very vulnerable and raw. And we see that as, as a growing trend of people just sharing the hard parts of their lives. And I feel like if you could sum it up, we hear and see a lot about burnout. And also people just trying to figure out themselves and their sense of self. And when you share this, it's really inspiring, Amber, because it feels like you have gotten to a place where you're feeling a lot of that. So what was that journey that brought you to that part in your life? And what did you do and try to get there? So yeah, my journey has definitely been a little bit crazy. I definitely had a really, really rough childhood. My mom passed away while giving birth to me. And my dad, he remarried when I was three years old, but he passed away when I was 10. So I always felt this lack of belonging in a way. Like I never had that really strong connection with my parents and my stepmom we did not really get along when I was younger. She is like very, very different from me. And I was also raised as a Jehovah's Witness. So all of that combined, you know, my whole childhood, I really never felt like I could be myself in a way. I always felt like, you know, there was just some sort of disconnect going on. 
I always felt that, you know, life is happening to me. I don't have control of my circumstances. You know, I have to be this way and live this way. If, you know, I want to go to paradise or else my parents are going to be resurrected and I'm not going to be there. And how selfish could I be for being that way? And this was actually something that my family used against me a lot, which is really wrong when I look back at it. I'm like, that is really like fucked up to say to a kid. But, you know, because of all these things, you know, when I was a teenager and trying to figure out, you know, who you are, what do you believe? And, you know, just figuring out yourself, I was just so lost. I really had no idea. And I knew that I wanted something more. I knew that there was something missing in my life. But I, of course, you know, you're young. I had no idea, you know, what I was looking for. So when I turned 17, I was like, okay, I need to get out of the house. I didn't really care about going to college, but you know, that was the only out for me because I was 17 at the time. So I ended up living on campus. I was like, yes, I have some freedom. I get to, you know, figure myself out a little bit. And it was so hard though. You know, I was going to school full time. I was working three jobs. I was paying for school all on my own. And for those who are US based, like we know how expensive school is. Like I went to the University of Redlands. It was $75,000 per year. So that was all on me. It's like, if I want to move out of the house, if I want to, you know, have this independence, then this is what I'm going to have to do. And even, you know, that year was just so difficult, so much burnout, so much just still feeling lost and working so hard and not even knowing what the point of all of it was. And I I just had this revelation one day. I was, you know, I think I worked like a 15 or 16 hour shifts at like two jobs. And I was just like, oh my God, I am so unhappy right now. Like, what is the point of this? And just so over, like, is this all that life is? And I just had this really weird thought that it's like, why am I working so hard and not making any money? Like, what is the point? Man, I should just be a stripper. And I had that thought pop into my head. And literally, like, that changed my life. I was like, am I crazy? Like, are you actually going to be a stripper? And I did it. And literally, like I said, it completely changed my life. I definitely, for the first time, felt that, okay, I actually have control over my life. I get to make a lot of money and have fun while doing it without feeling burnt out, without having to please other people, without having to work for really shitty bosses and managers. And, you know, for me, all of my other family and friends, I see everyone around me, you know, slaving away and not making any money, not being happy, not really doing what they want in their life. So that was really a turning point for me to really feel like I have my destiny in my own hands and I really can do what I want with my life. And I think this was in like 2018, maybe, but I had this horrible breakup. There was just so much drama. And I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm done. So I sold all my shit and I bought a one-way ticket to New Zealand and I went there for eight months by myself. And I think I was like 19 at the time. And this is really where I started to learn that like, I have to be home with myself and this feeling of, you know, really feeling like I am good wherever I go. That really started when I was on the road by myself because I'm like, wow, I'm in such a beautiful country. Nobody knows me. I don't know anybody. And it was such a liberating feeling because, you know, for people who have grown up in a religious household, there's always so many expectations, so much you have to live up to that I really just needed that sense of freedom to really figure out who I was at my core 
and learn how to live my life authentically. Whoa. <laughs> you, have su- <laughs> you have such a great story. And it's like, you know, also, Amber, I really feel like you're living a life that a lot of people are interested in. I mean, first of all, you sharing that thought crossing your mind about maybe I should just be a stripper. It brought back a memory that I had in college of thinking the same thing. But hearing that you actually decided to do that, I'm so fascinated. And it also helps. We've talked a little bit about sex work on the show. There was an episode with our guest, Kelly, who talked about this a bit. And we talked about OnlyFans. And what you're describing about feeling that sense of control and freedom and the ability to express yourself. And if you are interested in, I assume that stripping counts as a form of sex work. Am I right? So yeah, there's a lot of stigma around that. I'm really curious, like, what was that journey like to make that decision? Did you tell anybody about it? Were you judged for it? And what was that lifestyle like? Because as we're going to get into later, you're doing something quite different with your life now. And so there's a lot of contrast that you've described in your story that I'm very curious about. And I just would love to know what was it like being a stripper and like, how did that impact you aside from the financial elements that you talked about? So being a stripper is the greatest thing that ever happened to me. It's so funny because, you know, growing up, I was just always talked about so badly in my family. So for people who, I don't know, as a Jehovah's Witness, you marry someone who's Jehovah's Witness. You raise your kids a Jehovah's. You know, it just goes down the lineage for so long. So growing up, I was always like, they would call me the bad apple. So, you know, don't hang out with the bad apple because, you know, I don't know how the phrase goes like one rotten apple in the bunch. I don't know how that phrase goes, but like, you know, the gist of it. So I always had really, really low self-worth and self-confidence growing up, which is so silly looking at it now because I feel like I'm such an elevated, confident version of myself. But I really had so many limiting beliefs, so much guilt, just so many problems in my head because of it. And when I became a stripper, I really just learned that like, I am pretty awesome. Like being a stripper, you really get to just be yourself. There's no guidebook of, you know, how you have to talk to customers and how you have to dress. And like, there are no rules. So for me, I'm also an Aquarius. I hate rules that like just rubs me the wrong way. So this was like, wow, I get to really just be my authentic self. And I realized in the job, you know, there's so many girls who, you know, you have to try to be, you know, the quote unquote stripper image. And I was making like three times as much money as everyone else, but I was literally just being myself. People would just say like, Oh my God, you're traveling. That's so cool. Here's a thousand dollars. Have fun on your vacation. And people really vibed with my energy because I'm just a very real person and I'm just myself. And that was the biggest blessing that it taught me is that by being yourself, amazing things come your way. And as I said, growing up, I never, ever felt like I could be myself. I had one version of myself when I was at school, another version when I was at home, another version when I'm at church, another version when I met with friends with church. Like I didn't know who I was because there was just so many expectations of, you know, how I had to act and how I had to dress. So really just completely being my authentic self and realizing like, oh my God, like, I can make a lot of money just by being me. Like I didn't even realize I was that cool, but apparently I am. And that was just, you know, really, really cool to learn and really just 
teaching me to let my light shine and don't dim myself down because I'm scared of the judgment of others. So that was definitely the biggest lesson that I learned from being a stripper. Well, I mean, I feel like we could end the episode there because it's like, all right, cool. Like, Super fascinating. And it is something that so many people strive to have. And I'm just in awe of this story because I feel like a lot of people express that they don't get to the place that you're at until later on in life. And it's so incredible how you went through a lot of trauma, if I may use that word, in your early childhood. You lost your parents. Then you had a lot of challenges with as you mentioned, expectations. And statistically, I believe that people in similar situations tend to have really rough lives. And I could be wrong, but I'm just still in awe of how you've been able to pivot your life. I mean, that to me is a very rare quality. And it makes me just so curious, like, what's the rest of your life going to be like that you're not that you quote, have it all figured out, but you have gotten to a place that it feels like a lot of people are trying to get to. And it's just remarkable. And part of that, it feels like, Amber, that you're saying it's about that authentic expression. And somehow you were able to like find that path. And it feels like a lot of people struggle to find that. And I know with your work with your company, Embody Me, this must come up often as it does in many wellness and well-being structured situations, like whether it's yoga or something, like the amount of times I've been in a meditation class, a breath work class, a yoga class where you can energetically feel people releasing and sometimes you hear it or they're sharing. I mean, people crying and talking. I mean, I've been in a lot of um, classes where you'd sit around in a circle and share. And it's like a lot of what you're describing is what I know people are wanting to get to, but they don't quite know how. So in addition to it being remarkable, it's so amazing that you're supporting people with that journey. And I'm curious, with your work thus far, Amber, is this true that are you finding the same thing with your clients that they are looking for this type of support so that they can achieve what you've discovered already in your life? Yes, absolutely. And I feel like at the end of the day, We all have so much deconditioning that we need to do to come back to the core of who we are. Because we all know that we want to be ourselves. We all know that we want to be happy. We want to live fulfilled lives. But so often we get so wrapped up into what other people think or what how we think that we need to show up in our lives that we stop ourselves. And going back to what you said earlier, I'm also so grateful that, you know, I was able to make these choices at such a young age because, you know, right now I'm only 23 and I feel like I've done so much with my life and like this is just getting started. But so often, you know, we have these nudges, we have these thoughts or these ideas of like, maybe I should do this, but we don't act on them for years. It's just lingering in the back of our minds. We don't actually do it. And I think for me about what has really changed my life is I always follow my intuition and I act on my intuition from the start. I don't really sit with it too long. I'm like, okay, I have this thought in my head. This thought is here for a reason. I need to do it. 
And it's, it's so funny because the same thing happened when I went to New Zealand. I just had this thought like, wow, New Zealand sounds really cool. And four days later, I bought a one-way ticket and I was ready to sell my stuff. And really trusting in our gut and trusting in our instinct because it's really here to guide us. And we just have to be here and be ready and open to receive and kind of just trust that it's leading us along our path for a reason. I'm glad you brought up intuition because one thing that I've been really sitting a lot with lately for myself is getting clear about what is my intuition versus very subtle traumas steering me toward or away from something. This is something I am still unraveling because there's sometimes, let's say, for example, in a context of a romantic relationship or even a business relationship, I certainly have trauma in, in both areas that I'm still unraveling and healing. I often ask myself, okay, Jason, is, is this intuition or is this a past pain or trauma you haven't fully resolved masquerading as intuition? So for you, Amber, and for you both, Whitney, we talk about this body feeling of intuition, like our gut, the gut feeling. And we often talk about how we have the second brain in our guts, right? Like the enteric nervous system and all the nerve endings and how that's literally connected, connected rather to our neurology. So the big question is, how do you both and have you experienced challenges like I have with discerning between real intuition and subtle traumas masquerading as intuition? So I have a little formula that I love to use when I'm thinking like, is this intuition or is it anxiety? And the way that I like to think about it is intuition is always cool, calm, collected, grounded. Your intuition is not like, ah, stay clear. Don't do this freaking out, massive, like crazy energy. It's always going to be super calm, super grounded versus when it is anxiety. First, I like to think, okay, is this a past trauma that is making me feel like I can't trust this person? For example, is this something that has happened in my past that is making me feel this way? If so, okay, this might be my anxiety, not my intuition. So I like to use the example of like an airplane. And let's say when you were a kid, you had this scary experience. There was lots of turbulence. And now you're a little bit freaked out about flying on an airplane. So now 20 years later, you're on a plane. And if it's your anxiety, you might think, oh my God, the plane is going to crash. Something bad is going to happen. I need to get out of here right now. You're freaking out. You're sweating. That's your anxiety. But if it's your intuition, it would more or less be a voice in your head that's like, hey, you know, I think this plane isn't that safe. Maybe it's a good idea for you to get off the plane. You can drive there instead and you're going to find a better way. So always the feeling and the energy of very hectic and crazy versus calm and collected really helps me to decipher between if it's my anxiety or my intuition. I love that. And that's something that I think you need to practice because it makes sense when you share it. And then I reflect on times in my life where I've struggled to understand it just like you, Jason. And this is actually why earlier I felt lit up when I heard you share the word trust because that's my word of 2021. I identified over the past few years that I struggle trusting other people in some cases, but mainly I struggle trusting myself. And what you're describing here is this 
reaction that I have to not trust myself. And so sometimes that blocks me from knowing my intuition. And also as I'm talking through this, I'm thinking, okay, but that is actually a helpful way to help me work on this intuition versus anxiety because I have a tendency to trust my anxiety, not my intuition. And I've felt so resistant because of the way that I was raised, which was not with a lot of self-trust. I was raised inadvertently, I believe, by parenting and, and society and school and all that stuff, like to second guess myself, which has made it hard for me. But even actually, I feel like my anxiety and my intuition have a link where sometimes I feel anxious because I'm not trusting my intuition. Does that make sense? It's like, I don't feel good right now because I'm not really giving myself what I need. I'm ignoring my needs by not trusting my needs. And thus I have anxiety. So they both actually can be clues. If I feel anxious, it's like, hey, you need to tune in and listen to your intuition now. And maybe you need to do the exact opposite of what you're doing, because that's probably why you're feeling anxious. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. And a lot of the times, it's not always the loudest voice that's the right voice. You know, our ego loves to scream, whereas our higher self is like, Shh, hey, if you want to listen to me, I'm here. But I don't need to yell over this little screaming child right now. So for me, I always can tell like, okay, because my intuition does not scream. It does not yell. It does not need attention. It's just there. Whereas your anxiety, it's like, there's a house on fire. Help me. It's screaming. It's like freaking out. It's like a little child having a tantrum. Whereas if you just say, hey, it's okay. I don't need to be scared right now. I don't need to feel anxious. And seeing how that feels, so maybe a good tip for you, Whitney, is like when you're having this anxious versus, you know, is it my anxiety versus my intuition, just giving yourself a little self-parenting in a way. And if that kind of brings that anxiety down and your intuition, whatever it was saying is still there, then your intuition is there and you should follow it. So definitely, as you said, it's something that you need to practice and even practicing it with the smallest things like, okay, what should I wear today? Instead of just, you know, changing your clothes, oh, maybe this is too much. Maybe I shouldn't do this. Stick with your intuition. Like just the smallest things that you can make it a practice of doing is really going to help you in trusting your intuition for bigger things. Yes. I love that. Such great advice. And it reminds me of a trend I've been seeing a lot more of, which is intuitive eating. And I think calling it a trend is not actually doing it justice because I believe that it's a really important thing to learn, especially for those like me who have a history with disordered eating or, or struggles with eating. Interestingly enough, as a side note, I had an appointment with a new therapist about a week ago, and I like to disclose my history with disordered eating. I switched my language from eating disorder. And she did too. And now I'm like, wow, she had a phrase for it because she didn't want me to feel like it was a disorder, like something's wrong with me. It was like she wanted me to feel more empowered. And that's how I feel about intuitive eating. And you're absolutely right. And also with the clothes too, Amber, I, I've been practicing that a lot. And I learned that through the life-changing magic of tidying up because the author... 
teaches you when you pick up a piece of clothing, you can determine whether or not you want to keep it by how it makes you feel in that moment. And you can do this with objects all around you. And it has given me so much clarity when I'm buying something new or deciding if I'm going to pass on some article of clothing I have to someone else. I have a tendency sometimes to like hold on to it because of anxiety. But if I can tap into how I actually feel about it, I can let it go knowing that it's no longer serving me or maybe it never did. And the same thing can be true with food. That also leads me to something I wanted to ask you about, which is intuitive dance. What does that mean? I don't think I actually know. And I know that's part of your work with Embody Me. And I'm curious, like, what does that entail? What does that look like? So I freaking love intuitive dance. It's one of my favorite practices. And I'm so glad that we offer this on Embody Me. And essentially, it's just, you know, you have music on and you're really connecting with yourself. So there's different forms of intuitive dance. Usually we have some sort of theme. So since we're talking about anxiety, let's just say that our theme is intuitive dancing to release anxiety. And, you know, in our bodies, we really hold on to so many emotions And, you know, for example, you're driving in your car, somebody, you know, cuts you off, your body tenses up, your fists get clenched, your shoulders contract, your neck maybe gets tight. And those emotions are actually stored in your body. So when we do an intuitive dance practice, it's really releasing all of this stuck energy out of your body. You're, you know, maybe shaking or moving or just really moving that energy through, which in itself is so freaking healing. And, It really just helps you to, I don't know, they call it like an embodied practice. So you're really using all of your senses. You're really in the moment. You're really, you know, releasing all this energy that is being, you know, hold on to that you're holding on to. And at the end of it, you literally feel so much lighter. It feels like you've been wearing a backpack for like weeks or years or months. And you're like, oh my God, this is what it feels like to be normal again. Like this is like, there's literally a weight that's being lifted off my shoulders. And it's just such a beautiful practice. We've had people crying during their practice, people laughing, jumping, screaming, kicking the air, just really getting all these emotions out because I really feel like in our society... They really teach us to hide your emotions. Don't show when you're upset. Don't show when you're sad. Just we spent so much of our lives keeping so much in when in reality, you really need to feel it to heal it. And by feeling these emotions and letting them out, you're creating so much space for new, better, empowering emotions to come into your body, essentially. I have my own version of intuitive dance. I've just realized that I've created recently. I didn't have words for it. For any longtime listeners of the podcast or any longtime people that have known me, we have friends that listen as well, know that one of the most challenging aspects of my daily existence is doing the dishes. People for years have been like, Jason, just treat it like a moving meditation. I'm like, it's not a fucking meditation. It's dead. And I meditate every day and I just resist that. I'm just like, it's not a meditation. Okay. It's just not. However, however, recently I've shouted this out episodes ago that I created a Spotify playlist called Happy Feels. I basically went and put like 150 of the songs that bring me joy. Like you put on a piece of music and it is a way to change your state of being. We know that the vibration of music, the feeling of the music, can literally change our state. And you're talking about the intuitive dance classes you offer with Embody Me and your experience with Amber. So what I did is I started to, on my daily dishes, put on my Happy Feels playlist 
and literally dance whilst doing dishes. Like I will shake my little Puerto Rican butt, doing the dishes, jamming along. And I have to tell you, in all seriousness, it's been a quantum shift for me in doing dishes. I don't say I look forward yet, but dancing, literally, like I will just like move my shoulders, shake my butt, do the dishes. I've been doing this for like a week and a half now. It has been a change in my relationship to doing dishes. So I don't know if you want to offer that on Embody Me, like intuitive dish dancing, but it's an idea. It's an idea. Please do. I'm curious, Jason, how do your animals react? Are they like, what is he doing? Or have they gotten used to it? Like, do you dance with them? I mean... I do grab them like because they like to be around me. So, you know, my cat Claudia, my cat Lynx, my dog Bella will be around in the kitchen while I'm doing the dishes. And yeah, if I have a giant stack of dishes and it might take me 30 to 45 minutes to get through the dishes, I might take a little break and grab them and start swinging them around. And they're like, Dad, what is this? Can't you just leave us alone? So when I involve them in the dance, they get a little freaked out and maybe slightly annoyed, maybe a lot annoyed. This also reminds me, Amber, and I want to hear how does someone who's a little shy or introverted push through that to do some of these classes that you offer? And to be clear, we're talking about Amber's virtual wellness one-stop shop classes on Embody Me, which by the way, if you stay tuned towards the end of the episode, we'll tell you how to get a free trial of it. I have this flashback to when I used to do in-person yoga, actually the very first serious yoga class or center I went to in Los Angeles, they had what they called ecstatic dance. And I know Jason knows, I don't know if the multiple studios in the area did it, but it was like a thing in Santa Monica. And I don't know if people still do it, but I was so freaked out, not because I was uncomfortable with the fact that it was happening. I'm like, fine, you do your thing. But the fact that they expected me to participate, oh my gosh. And there was one class where I think that they like did it in the middle of the yoga practice or at the end, there was like a one experience I had where I didn't feel like there was a way out. And I was like, oh, I'm stuck here. I'm confronted with this very uncomfortable moment. And I'm totally cool watching people dance. I'm cool dancing on my own in private, dancing in a crowd. But I've always felt uncomfortable if I feel like other people can see me dancing, which is weird, by the way, because I used to like have a big passion for dance and wanted to do it professionally when I was little. But for some reason, I think it's like people dancing around and like getting really wild and loose with it. I am still not fully comfortable doing that. So my question to you is, Amber, how do you encourage people to participate in something that's out of their comfort zone, which ties into the show, Um, especially when it comes to self-expression, that would be really healing, but the mental and emotional obstacle of just doing it in the first place. So the one thing that I actually love that happened during the pandemic is everything going virtual. And since our whole platform is all virtual... 
it really gives people the space to be in their comfort zone. Like as hearing from you, you weren't really in your comfort zone at a yoga studio. There's lots of people around you, lots of other people's energy, like a lot going on that doesn't make you relax and just, you know, really be present in the moment. So in all of our classes, you of course have the option to have your camera off. First and foremost, I think that is the best thing. If you don't want to be on camera, that's totally fine. You can be naked dancing around your house with your camera off if that is what you please. So first, that's you are able to do it with your camera off. And I think that it's actually even more special because people can really prep their space in a way. Like for me, I have my little office. I will light my candles. I'll light my incense, dress in something sexy that makes me feel super good and then do a class. And you're really able to just completely be in the present moment because with intuitive dance specifically, you really want to tap into your body. You really want to be completely just in your body and out of your head. And when you're in a safe space where you feel comfortable doing that, then the results are just magnified. I mean, that immediately put me at ease, Amber. So thank you for sharing that because as you're describing it, I was like, oh, okay. Like if I could like ease myself into it, maybe one day I'd feel more comfortable. But like that flashback to being in that yoga room, I almost felt like frustrated that I was uncomfortable. You know, it was like, oh, I want to participate on some level. Like I see all these people dancing around. They seem so free. I wanted to get to that place too, but I just wasn't fully there yet. And I think that's a huge part of the wellness journey of wanting something, but feeling so uncomfortable, you don't know how to push through that barrier. And I love that you offer that. I absolutely agree. I transitioned to doing virtual yoga classes. And I like that I can support myself in the way that I need versus trying to adhere to the structure. This also goes back to part of Jason's questions earlier, which was how to know basically when to push yourself through something, like identifying the resistance. And I've noticed, depending on your personality, because you also brought up the rebelliousness, Amber, which Jason can really relate to. I can to an extent. I'm not super rebellious, but it comes out at me at times. I'm a questioner. So I need to understand why. And if something doesn't make sense to me, I have a very hard time doing it. And I really enjoyed the structure of the in-person yoga classes I went to for over 10 years, but it was still like an obstacle to like leave the house sometimes. It was an obstacle to feel comfortable in certain clothing if like I was feeling uncomfortable in my body that day. It was an obstacle to be in a room with other people and like feel comfortable in the space. Like I'm not someone who likes to have my yoga mat really close to someone I want to be able to like stretch out and like, I like being around others. I like the community, but I don't like them being too close to me. You know, like what you were describing of like setting up your space. I'm like, oh, and so I would find myself going to class early and having to ground myself. And it was like, the whole process was like two hours plus, which is fine. But as many of us struggle with time, that can become an obstacle. And suddenly doing yoga feels like this huge stressor. But everything that you're describing, it's like, oh, you mean I can get all the benefits of something without all of those stresses and obstacles? That's really exciting. And it lit me up just hearing you describe that. Like, I want to take one of the intuitive dance classes now, you know, knowing that I can have my camera off and no one has to see me if I don't want them to is really nice. And I think that's an important element because on this show, 
we call it this might get uncomfortable because it doesn't have to be uncomfortable. It might get uncomfortable, but that doesn't mean you have to stay with it. And I think that's part of it too, is that, and I'm curious about both of your thoughts on this because sometimes getting uncomfortable is not what you need. Sometimes that's actually not good for you to be continuously uncomfortable. It can feel traumatic or it can feel a burden or it can like just lead you down a direction that you don't want to go in. And so I'm curious especially for you, Amber, because this is your first time on our show. Like, How often do you push yourself out of your comfort zones? And have there been times where like, this is out of my comfort zone, but I know that I'm not supposed to be here. So I'm going to go back into the comfort that's actually serving me. That is a really good question. And I guess I always, you know, when I'm pushing myself out of my comfort zone, the number one question I ask is why? Am I doing this because I want to grow as a person? Am I doing this because I think I have to? Am I doing this because of someone else's expectations of me? Like, what is the point of this uncomfortable feeling? And based on that, you can decide, like, is this actually worth it? Is this what I want to do? Because I spent so much of my life, like my first 18 years doing things that I didn't want to do all the time. That now I'm like, okay, if you know, we're all adults here, we get to choose what we want to do. We get to create our own destiny. So for one, is this what I want to do? If the answer is yes, okay, then I will push myself out of my comfort zone. But I feel like if you have a strong why, then the uncomfortable feeling is worth it because you know that at the end of the tunnel, you're going to come out a better person versus if you're just doing this because you feel like you have to, or I see everyone else on Instagram doing this and I feel like I have to be like them. So therefore I'm going to do this because I feel like you have to. So that's always the questions that I ask myself. I think that's so brilliant and so wise, Amber. And I mirror that and I resonate with that in the sense that even in the wellness community, I think there's a lot of pressure and there's a lot of expectation I have certainly felt and I've talked to other people about of kind of reducing our healing journey, our wellness journey to sort of checking the right boxes off. Okay, I'm doing my ecstatic dance. I'm doing my yoga four times a week. I'm eating my goji berries. I'm doing my colonics. I'm doing my green smoothies. Oh, now I got to add celery juice. Got to add celery juice. Okay. And now I'm going to my theta healer and I'm doing my ayahuasca and now I'm doing my MDMA and I'm going to Burning Man. And I feel like the commodification of the wellness industry in some ways has mirrored the commodification of human life, period. We get to a point where much like kind of the traditional I guess, sort of Western capitalist structure of, okay, going to go to college, going to find my life partner, going to marry them, going to have two kids, going to move to the nice house in the suburbs, going to have my 401k, going to get my Mercedes. Like It feels in some ways like the what you're describing resonates with me that many people, and I was like this for a long time, I got to be a raw foodist now and got to do the colonics and I've got to work with the shaman. And I felt like in order to be fully healed, in order to be who I actually was, I had to do all of these things to peel back those layers. But what I found was for myself, in some ways, it became a trap. It became a trap because I realized I wasn't doing it because I was letting my intuition guide me of, I think this person or this practice will actually give me the healing or the perspective or the expansion that I'm needing and wanting. It was more like seeing everybody else oh, I'm going to go to Julian's ecstatic dance class. And wait, there's this new mala bead company and I need those volcanic fancy mala beads. Wait, they're from Kauai? They're Kauaian volcanic mala beads? Well, I need those. 
That's going to open up my chakras. I need those. And so I say it lovingly and jokingly, but also seriously that I think that we can get into even more conditioning by getting in the wellness industry sometimes, even though we're attempting to decondition, as you said, Amber, at the beginning of this episode, peel back those layers of ought to's, have to's, should do's. And sometimes, I don't know, I feel like the wellness journey can, if we're not clear about our why, can add even more of those layers on top. Absolutely. And, you know, I've also, I don't want to say I've been struggling with this, but I've been working on this myself because I have a welded studio and I felt like I had so much pressure of, I have to do yoga every day. I have to, you know, walk my talk when really it was just leaving me exhausted and feeling like I'm doing things because I have to. And with my own practices, like I do yoga once a week, I meditate for like five minutes a day. And that's enough for me because that makes me feel good. What is the point of these practices? Why are you doing it? And coming back to, you know, what makes you feel home in your own body is all of these practices and all of these things are supposed to make you feel whole. It's supposed to bring you back to yourself. But if you're constantly, you know, trying to keep up with the Joneses in a sense, then you're just really running further away from yourselves at the end of the day. All you need to do is, you know, to really do what feels right for you and knowing that, you know, what I'm doing for myself is enough because so many of us, you know, as you said, we have all these have tos and should dos and we just overwhelm ourselves. And I definitely think it's a lot of conditioning from, you know, the American dream. We always have to work. We always have to hustle. There's in a way a sense of hustle in our self care sometimes like, ooh, I got to take bubble baths and the, all these things that we have to add to our to do list when really just being is enough. Yes. And one thing that I'm so grateful that you offer is breath work because breath work to me, depending on the style, because there are different types. So maybe you can talk a little bit about it, Amber, and the different offerings. It's interesting to me over the years when I learned about breath work and tried it out, I became really passionate about it for a while and I would recommend it to people. And a lot of people were resistant to it. And I'm like, what do you mean you resist? Like your breath is one of the most powerful tools you have. And yet a lot of people are not even aware of how they're breathing, but they're resistant or afraid to learn breathing techniques. And it's mind boggling, isn't it? Like on my Apple watch, there is a, a automated element feature where it'll remind me to take deep breaths. And it's really cool because it's basically there's a breath training element built into it. A lot of the times I just ignore it. I'll look at it sometimes and be like, oh yeah, I guess I probably should do some deep breathing. But a lot of times I'm like, eh, I don't feel like it. I'm like, I'm just going to let myself automatically breathe. I'm not going to put any attention to it. And I just find it so interesting because when I do focus on my breath or I do something like EFT tapping, which I know that you also offer, I'm like, whoa, I forgot how much power I have in my breath in my hands. Like just touching a certain part of my body through tapping will relieve anxiety and stress. And so we have all this power and yet we tend to want to go do something different like mala beads you bring up, Jason. Like maybe I need to buy new yoga pants. I need more yoga equipment. Maybe I need to go to the specific class. Maybe I need to eat a certain way. And it's just like adding more and more in versus stripping down to the basic things that we don't have to purchase. 
you know, maybe you purchase a class, you know, in your case, you offer paid classes, which makes sense because not only do we need the training, but the accountability. And I would much rather spend my my money on something like that than buy all these other tools that might just end up being thrown away or they're just temporary versus training myself and holding myself accountable for using what I already have and reminding myself how powerful it is to do nothing but focus on my breath. Yeah. And I feel like no hate to your model beads or whatever devices and things that you have. But a lot of the time we try to use them as a quick fix. I'm just going to, you know, drink this slim fit shake and bam, 15 pounds gone. Don't have to think about it. So we're so conditioned, especially with, you know, marketing and advertising these days of take this pill. It's a quick fix. Do this. You're going to feel better without actually doing any of the work. And a lot of the times, you know, I've also felt resistance when I'm doing breath work or meditation. And it's normal because we're not used to sitting in silence. We're not used to sitting with ourselves and really calming our energy down. And when I really learned about the biological benefits of breathing, I was just completely mind blown. I'm like, wait, so by taking like 10 deep breaths, I'm releasing chemicals in my body that's helping me to digest, that's helping me to relax, that like so much is going on within us that the breath is so, so, so important. And we're really living in such a stressful society, you know, like we are constantly in our flight or fight mode where, you know, you get a text message, bam, that, you know, spikes up your adrenaline, you're driving in traffic, you get a call from your boss, you check your emails, you get a notification from Instagram, like there's a million impulses being thrown at us 24 seven, that our bodies are really in a fight or flight mode for an unnormal experience duration of time. And so many of us really live in this fight or flight mode. And especially if you're breathing really fast, it just has a lot of really bad long-term effects on us. It has effects on your stress level, your sleep, your weight gain. Like There's a million different ways that it can impact you. And simply by just taking a few moments to slow down your breathing, focus on your breath. It might feel a little bit weird at first because you're like, okay, I'm just, you know, need to sit here and breathe. But in the end, so much is happening on a biochemical level that you will just feel so refreshed and so nourished and so amazing at the end of it. And by learning to incorporate these things in your day-to-day life and, you know, learning just how to live and breathe a little bit slower than normal, you're going to notice the effects of how much more calm and how much more grounded you feel. And it will also teach you how to recognize when certain situations or certain people are really not good for you. And this has actually been really helpful for me. But because I'm always so focused on my breath, I can hang out with someone and instantly if I notice that I have a spike in my heartbeat, that I'm starting to feel anxious, that maybe I'm starting to sweat a little bit, that I'm like, okay, what is it about this situation that's causing my body to react this way? And that will give you so many clues and it will help you to live your life in alignment based on you know how your body is reacting to things. I am curious about people's resistances to doing these kind of practices, right? It seems to me that when I talk to people who are afraid to do things like EFT, afraid to do breath work, afraid to go to yoga class, I have had a lot of experiences, Amber, where I will release energy in a part of my body 
that I didn't know I needed to release per se. And there's a lot of stuck emotion in that part of the body. You know, um, people always joke in yoga classes and, and, you know, you probably have heard this a million times being that you run a virtual wellness studio. We carry stuff in our hips, right? There's a lot of energy we carry in our hips. I've always had tight hips. And I can't tell you the number of times Whitney's actually been in, in certain yoga classes with me where I will literally in the middle of class just start weeping, start crying out of nowhere. You know, I didn't come into class sad. I didn't come into class feeling depressed, but something will happen in the middle of a yoga class, a breathwork class. I've done it in tapping workshops where I will just suddenly just break out, bust out, just bawling, bawling in the middle of class. And I wonder if people subconsciously are afraid of not only facing those emotions that they didn't necessarily know that that's why I say subconscious, that there's things on a subtle subconscious level that they know that need to be addressed and healed and looked at. But the fear of not only having that emotional release, but having it happen in a public setting, right? Because I think culturally, I think by and large in American culture, there's a lot of shame around crying in public or in front of strangers. There's a lot of shame in showing raw, visceral, painful, uncomfortable emotions around people. Like for me, you know, as a man in America, it was always like, you know, don't cry. You know, guys, don't cry. So all the times like I've cried in a yoga class or a breathwork class or a tapping workshop that came up, it was like, oh my God, I'm crying in a room full of people I don't know. Holy shit. And I wonder if that holds a lot of people back from attempting or even experimenting with all of these wellness classes that you offer, the things we're all three of us are so passionate about. Because they're afraid of having that kind of really profound and deep emotional release, A, but B, in front of a whole room of strangers. You know, I wonder if that really freaks people out. And I feel like part of it may be that, that people, you know, are afraid of, you know, letting their emotions come out in public. But I think to go even deeper than that, we often associate our identity with like, with, you know, these feelings are who I am. So I know something that I personally went through is, you know, I'm scared of who I'm going to be at the end of this. You know, there's so much unknown of, okay, if I release these emotions, if I'm not this depressed and anxious and whatever person, then like, who am I? What am I? Like, it's so much unknowingness that people are really scared to, you know, they're scared of change. I think, you know, like a lot of people, yeah, are just, you know, a bit scared of the unknown, a bit scared of who they are when they release certain parts of them. And this is what I've heard from some, from students as well is, you know, I'm scared to be someone who I'm not. I've always held this anxiety within me. I've always been this person. So what do you mean I can be a different person? So I feel like maybe it also subconsciously is a little bit of that. In addition to, you know, feeling insecure in public and, you know, feeling out of your comfort zone in that way as well. Wow. I mean, that's very profound and it makes a lot of sense when we look at the types of resistance people face. It, it's really tough. And we do so much escapism, so many distractions. I acknowledge that. I think it's a something that most people face. Like I don't think I know anyone who doesn't have some sort of distraction. I read this book, Stealing Fire, and it, it had me reflecting on like all of the things that we do to make ourselves feel good, to have pleasure, to alter our consciousness. And sometimes it is dance. 
Sometimes it's sex. Sometimes it's doing a drug or alcohol or playing the video games are a huge thing. And those things aren't inherently bad or wrong. It really depends. It's a case-by-case thing. But I like to ask myself, similar to what you were saying before about getting out of your comfort zones or staying in your comfort zone, right? It's like, well, why am I choosing this? And is this the right thing for me? And sometimes I don't have the answer. So I'll set a time limit. For me, my current favorite escape is watching TikTok videos. And sometimes yesterday, I was having a low energy day. So I literally spent hours watching TikTok off and on and laying around in bed. And it's interesting too, because there's the hustle culture mentality that I feel like I'm trying to break free of. So sometimes I'm like, hey, if you just want to spend the day, a a random Wednesday, laying around watching TikTok videos, do it. And sometimes I feel like that's actually really good for me. But I have to ask myself regularly throughout that period, like, does it still feel good? And doing something like setting a timer has been helpful. I've done the same thing with food because food can absolutely be something we do to comfort ourselves. There's the term comfort food, but even foods that we don't associate as comfort foods, sometimes it's just the act of chewing and the texture of food. And I'm sure the two of you have experienced at some point where you're like eating something and suddenly you're like, do I even still want this? Like, The first bite is generally great, but then like you can get into this unconscious experience with food where then I'm doing this hand gesture of like thinking about like sticking your hand in a bag of chips or popcorn or any sort of like food that you can grab by the handful and just eat and eat and eat. And man, like it's fascinating to me when I have awareness and I stop mid bag and I'm like, do I really want to finish this bag? And not from like a I don't want to eat too many calories standpoint, more of a, well, if I'm not deeply enjoying it, then what's the point of me finishing the bag? Because I might find more enjoyment by putting the bag away and eating it another time. And I've noticed through training, actually through yoga, but like it was through some wellness classes I've done in the past where they'll have you taste chocolate. And instead of like chewing it, really quickly, but just like let it sit on your tongue and melt and savor a tiny piece of chocolate. If you savor it and pay attention and close your eyes and like notice everything about that one piece, you could feel truly satisfied with the smallest portion. But I think we've become conditioned through our lifestyles to eat food really quickly and not even savor it for what it is. And thus it becomes this habit And maybe that leads to overeating and maybe that leads to numbing out and not even taking in something that's really special. I mean, the fact that we're so disconnected, many of us from our food systems is kind of nuts. And we take food for granted when so much work went into creating it and then it's gone within like a moment and we're on to the next thing. I think that's one of the greatest meditations that you can do, but it has that whole awareness around like, hmm, why am I eating this food and how is it making me feel? And the more I can tune into those questions as I'm doing something, food or whatever else, shopping even, like we've talked about retail therapy on the show and how similar to as we discussed, people are just trying to buy something to make themselves feel better, but it's not really getting to the root. And I think all of that 
is coming up for me as I'm hearing you talk about this fear to change. It's like, it feels too hard to even just stop and savor things sometimes. But if we can just try it out a few times, we might find that we prefer it that way. I had a real-time realization I wanted to share that just totally, the reason I was smiling, it was like, holy shit, I never made this connection before. Talking about the presence of food and being present while we're eating, that the, the act of self-nourishment. The other day, because I've been a little bit under the weather lately, I've been doing a lot of soups. I, even though it's the middle of summer, I still like to rock me some nourishing, dense, hearty soups when I'm not feeling all that great. And the other day, I had a big, big bowl of soup. Like I was looking, I'm like, that's a, that's a big old bowl of soup. And I'm eating the soup, and I'm trying to be as present as possible to each bite of this soup, because it was a good soup. I was proud of this soup. I was like, good job, Jason. You made a good soup, brother. What kind of soup was it? It was a chipotle, like bok choy soup. It was like a miso chipotle broth, just really hearty, really healing, really simple. And I'm about halfway through that big ass bowl of soup and something popped in and said, you're not enjoying this anymore. But I was determined to polish off that entire bowl of soup. Here's what I just realized, right? Not only was I grateful for that presence of realizing that, A, I wasn't enjoying it as much anymore after the first 20 bites, I was already full after half a bowl of soup, right? I was satisfied. I was satiated. But the thing that just came to me in the middle of our conversation right now was, as a child, I was praised for having a clean plate. You did a good job, right? People probably relate to this, right? Good boy. You finished your meal. So there's been a subconscious thing. I hadn't thought about this in years that here I'm alone. Mom's not around. Dad's not around. Just me and the animals. They're not like, good job, dad. I am trying to finish that big ass bowl of soup because it's praise. I've associated finishing my entire meal with accomplishing something and being praised for accomplishing something. But like, ain't nobody keeping score. No one's like, ah, Jason finished another meal. Give him another check. He's got a gold star coming, everyone. Hey, good job, Jay. Keep going, bud. No one's fucking doing this. So to the point, it's like, can we bring the presence practice to say, oh, I'm actually totally full and I'm going to save this for lunch tomorrow. But the other layer of conditioning of how much I was praised as a child for finishing my entire meal. And holy shit, that's still affecting me as an adult. I love that. And as you were both speaking, I was just like, wow, these are principles that we need to apply to every single area of our life. Am I still enjoying this job? Does it still feel right? Does it still taste right? If not, you don't have to be stuck there. And I feel like so often people probably have the same feelings as you, Jason, of, you know, I want to accomplish this. I have to stick through with what I was doing and 20, 25, 30 years go by. And they're like, wow, I actually have hated this for like the past 20 years now, but you kept going because you felt like you had to. So yeah, I love what you said about that. And that is, you know, what I do on a daily basis. Like, does this feel good? does hate like you know i just moved to california i've been gone for two years and you know i'm hanging out with some people that i used to be friends with and i'm like wow this does not feel good like i actually don't really want to hang out with you anymore and it's not that anything happened there was no drama but just listening to my inner voice saying like hey 
this doesn't really feel good anymore. This doesn't really feel expansive. And giving yourself permission to say, okay, I'm going to trust this feeling and I'm going to do what feels good for me and always listen to that feeling when it arises. Yes. And it's interesting because one thing I wanted to bring up earlier, and this feels like another time to do it, is how each of us respond differently to the circumstances and we have triggers and we have different needs. And it's really the big lesson here in this episode, Amber, is tuning into yourself. And it's not always easy. You know, it's not always fast. It's a big experiment to figure out like what does feel good to me. And there's a lot of research done on habit building and how rewards can play a big role in it. And it's interesting listening to your story, Jason. You know, like you're like, no one's giving me a gold star. And I realized like my day is structured around getting gold stars literally because I have this water bottle that tracks how much water I drink in a day. And it lights up and does like a little celebration when I finish the amount of water for the day. And my watch tracks it so I can look. And right now I'm like, I think 30% through the amount of water I'm supposed to have for the day. Now that's actually beneficial for me because without that, I might not hold myself accountable. So those little rewards from a device are helpful. And I do the same thing with exercise. Anyone who has an Apple Watch (laughs) knows that like you can turn it on to have the activity monitors and it tells you how many times you've stood up, which I love because standing is so important in this day where we spend so much time in front of computer screens and in office chairs or whatever chair you have. And B, it tells you like how much you've moved your body and exercise, which I think is so important. And yesterday... (laughs) I actually looked down at my watch and I'm like, oh no, I haven't moved my body that much today. And I had these two thoughts cross my mind. One is like, to your point, Jason, it doesn't really matter. It's just my Apple watch. Like who cares if I don't meet my movement goal for the day? But then another part of me was like, no, I want to complete the circle. I want to get my reward. And I just decided I'm going to listen to that and see how I feel. So at like nine o'clock last night, I did a pretty intense exercise on my rebounder, actually, which is my mini trampoline for anyone watching on YouTube. Well, it actually was stored away and I hadn't used it for a few weeks. I took it out and found a class using the rebounder and it was fun. And I burned calories and got my movement score for the day. And I was like, great. And I had all these endorphins rushing. And it's so interesting when you come to those crossroads And you have that chance to say, "Eh, I don't really need to, like, I'm not going to bother. Or I know I don't need to, but let's just see what happens if I try it. And that tends to work really well for me. Also, based on the research of habit building, just having that push, that accountability, which I think is such a huge part of your virtual studio, Amber, is like the community element is so key because when something holds you accountable, whether it's your Apple Watch or a teacher or whatever structure you need to create, when you know someone's counting on you and cares, it really can push you towards developing these great habits for yourself. And sometimes you just, well, most times actually, you do a lot of experimenting to see how much it actually benefits you. And I think that's a huge takeaway from this episode is that In order to tune into yourself, you got to just keep 
trying things out, but creating systems for yourself where you'll try it long enough to decide if it's good for you versus like poo-pooing it because you're like, nah, it's not for me, like breath work or tapping or whatever else, like intuitive dance. Hearing you share what you did earlier, Amber, has opened my mind up and I'm like, okay, in the past, I tried ecstatic dance, didn't feel right for me, but that's not the same person I am today. Why don't I give it another try again? And the great thing about virtual classes too, Amber, is that like you can always leave early. Like in-person classes, it's very awkward to leave a class early. And sometimes that's for the better. You have to tough it out and just, you know, really give it a chance before you leave. Virtual classes for better or for worse, you could just leave. But maybe that works for you better. And it allows you to say, at any point, I can just leave. And maybe that will open you up to trying something new. So I'm just incredibly grateful that you offer what you do with Embody. And, and this feels like a good time to let our listener know that as a sponsor of our show, you're offering a seven-day free trial, right? And they just entered the code Wellevator, W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R-N to your website. So Amber, before we wrap the show today, I'd love to you know, maybe hear you describe the process of, of signing up and what they get. Maybe what are the first steps for someone who wants to start a free trial and try out some of the things we've talked about today? Like, what do you recommend as that journey from signing up to actually trying out some classes and, and seeing if it's something that they're going to enjoy? So the sign up is very, very simple. You just go to our website at embodyme.live and there will be a little link for you to do your seven day trial. And we have a quiz at the bottom of the page that I always encourage people to try to, to do the quiz first. And you just answer some questions and it will just let you know what types of things might be right for you. So we have different meditation classes. We have journaling classes, fitness, yoga, dance. Like we have a lot of things that we offer. So if you're feeling a bit overwhelmed, like I don't know what to try, do the quiz that might give you some guidance on what's right for you. And I would just say, have fun and experiment. You know, you can try something once and say, yeah, this isn't really for me. But at the end of the day, you'll feel really good that you did try it out. So we've noticed that a lot of people actually during their seven day trial, they will sometimes do one or two classes a day and think like, wow, like I can do a short 20 minute meditation in the morning. I could do something at night. There's so many different ways to mix and match and find what works for you. So have this, you know, playful attitude of just giving things a try without having any expectations. You might not like it. You might fall in love, but it's worth it to just give it a try anyway. My question too is, I know some of our listeners might view themselves as very, very new to some of these practices. And some people might be very, very experienced with things like breath work or EFT tapping or even journaling. So in terms of how you structure the offerings, do you guide, say, beginners into more uh, beginner level classes? Do, are there advanced classes? How do you structure that to meet people where they're at, Amber? Because I know there's people from a variety of different experiences and backgrounds who are listening to this episode. So all of our classes are beginner friendly. And 
I would just say come as you are because you are experienced enough just by being where you are right now. There's no qualifications that you need. Just come with an open mind. We are here to guide you. If you need modifications in like a yoga class, for example, we always give modifications. If it's something at, you know, like breath work, the classes are very easy, very simple. You can ask as many questions as you need to. So I feel like sometimes we have so much pressure on like, oh, am I good enough to try this? Am I ready? But just know that wherever you are right now, you are ready enough and just give it a try and you will realize how effortlessly these things come. Yeah. And you also have such a great blog section on your website, which again is embodyme, E-M-B-O-D-Y-M-E dot live, L-I-V-E. And I think just the articles, I was you know going through your website and seeing some of the new articles you've posted. And the blog is just chock full of amazing information. If people want to learn about chakras, if people want to learn about Ho'oponopono, the sensational styles of yoga for relaxation, you've got some really specific posts in there, which I think is great because sometimes when you see blogs, right, it'd be like, oh, this is like super general. But I, I love the specificity and how well written it is. And I love the diversity. You have so many teachers and so many writers. And am I right in understanding your teachers and your contributors are all over the world? Like you're not your staff, but your contributors are literally international. You have people from many, many different countries here. Yes, it's so amazing. Even our teachers, I think we're from 11 different countries. So there's US, South Africa, India, Germany, Spain, like we have such an international team. And it just makes it so special because you really get to do something that's a little bit out of the ordinary. I feel like when you go to, you know, an in-person yoga class, for example, it's the same teacher. The teachers are all more or less from the same area. So we really have such a mix of experience, which really makes it so unique and so special. And you really get to just make friends with people from all over. I really love our platform because, you know, sometimes we'll... The other day, it was so funny. We had this like EFT tapping class for attracting miracles. And we were all hanging out for like 30 minutes after the class, just talking, chatting. And it's like, oh my God, like, do you guys need to go? Like, we're just here talking and the class is like way over. And it's just really nice to connect with very like-minded people who are open to having new connections, open to these new experiences, and who are all just trying to embody the best version of themselves. It's beautiful. We can't wait to share this with our fans and our followers on social media. And again, for you, dear listener, dear watcher on YouTube, however you're consuming this beautiful podcast, again, the website to enjoy Amber's incredible virtual wellness studio. It's embodyme.live and you can use the code Wellevator, W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com for a seven-day free trial to take a deep dive, experiment, get comfortable, get uncomfortable, do whatever you want to do. It's in the comfort of your own home. And we just really are so grateful for your wisdom, your lightness, your joyfulness, everything you've been through, Amber, in your life too. I think you're a living example of someone who has been through a lot of loss and struggle and challenge. And here you are shining, sharing, creating this beautiful online community and being a living example of not allowing the challenges and the tragedies to derail our lives. I think for so many human beings, myself included, I've let loss, I've let challenge, I've let my perceived failures really derail me for big, big periods of time. And I just really love your energy and your perspective and the presence you bring showing us that we don't have to be defined by our story. We have a community of people that are here to help us. And you're just a living presence of that. So 
it's just been a wonderful opportunity to get to know you. I mean, immediately when Whitney and I met, you were like, oh, Amber's our person. Like we knew it immediately. I remember we looked at each other. We're like, yeah, she's our kind of human being. So I just want to acknowledge you for that. And thank you for bringing that presence into the world with your classes, with your brand and here on the podcast. It's just been a joy having you here. Yes. Thank you so much. It has been so much fun. And yeah, this is really my first time, you know, sharing my story. So thank you for creating the space and allowing me to do so. Yeah. So we will have links to Amber's website again, embodyme.live. That code again is Wellevator for a seven day free trial. If you want to follow up with her and soak in more of that amazing energy, she's teaching classes on the platform again with her international roster of teachers. So we really encourage you to check it out and to follow up with her and take advantage of that seven day free trial. With that, Amber, we adore you. We appreciate you. It's been a breath of fresh air. I feel energetically much better after having this conversation with you. So I can only imagine what people are going to feel when they come take classes with you. With that being said, thanks for getting uncomfortable or comfortable with us, dear listener. Thank you to Amber. And we will catch you again with another episode of This Might Get Uncomfortable Soon. Take care. We love you. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. 